welcome to full release with Samantha B. Hopefully, you'll experience one by the end of this. Currently, my late night show, Full Frontal with Samantha B, is on a little bit of a summer break, but I will not stop creating content for you, even in the midst of a summer heat that is making my usual panic sweat feel like I just got out of a panic shower. Climate change is very real, dear listeners. But the good news is, if you're looking for a podcast to cool down your mind and your body, you've picked the right one. This show is all about lowering your blood pressure and lifting your spirits through the power of polite conversation with a special guest that I have booked. It's just for you. I'm joined, as always, by my producers, Adam Howard and Svia Baron reinstein Okay. Okay, podcast gals. On today's episode, we are talking to the acclaimed writer, Roxanne Gay, who writes the New York Times advice column, Work Friend, which got me thinking about The Office and our work friends. What do you think? What is the biggest office faux pas? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) And also, how can we have this conversation without outing people? We can't. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Are we worried about outing them? Because I feel like if they're committing a heinous crime, such as what we're about (laughs) to to say. A heinous crime. (laughs) A crime. Okay, let's go. You know, I think there are some that I wouldn't say because it'll be clear who I'm outing. So for now, I'm just going to say our office Mm -hmm. had an extreme dishwashing problem. Oh, yeah. And I think it's unacceptable because I know everybody washes their own dishes at home. Mm -hmm. But do they do it in a timely manner? And do they use soap? I don't know. Oh, my God. What? What? Well, this is all. Okay. (laughs) You've used our kitchen. For context, I mean, yes, our kitchen would get really grimy, but I never used any of the dishes or cups. And that's not because I couldn't find a dish or a cup. It's because as an like an actual nerd, like a real live total nerd. All I would do is bring my own meals from home. I definitely would steal a fork from right, the kitchen right. and then take a all fork? those forks You would home. steal all the forks. I took all the That's forks. That's an office faux pas. That's, oh my God, I committed one. I took all the <laughs> it's forks. You. That's right. But you know what I, I was doing? I love this turned into an intervention Shit. about forks. <laughs> Clearly I had it's a lot true. I had to get off my chest. I think for context, I have to tell everybody for context at some point, and it might have even been Julia who was here on this podcast with us somebody panic wrote in slack please there are no forks in the kitchen please help where are all the forks and I was like do I have forks at home and then I looked in my drawer and I had like maybe 11 or 13 (laughs) maybe 18 because I would take them because I bring my lunch in my little container but I didn't always bring a fork and then I would take the fork and I would go I will wash this at home I'll take the fork home and then I will wash it. And then I would just put it in my drawer. (laughs) It was very sterilized and I would put it in a drawer and then they started to add up. And then I brought them in and it was like a full bouquet of fresh forks. Sorry. How did this, this did become all about me. I'm sorry. sorry. I did wash those things. I think people are not as good with dishes as you think they should be. I'm very good with dishes. It ends up being like a don't ask, don't tell situation. I don't want (laughs) to know that you're not good at that. I don't want to see how you're doing it. I get that. And you know, I'm very particular about wetness around the sink. Mm. I'm actually very intense (laughs) about it. Like, I don't think there should be droplets. I like my rag clean and hanging over the thing so it can dry. I'd never use a sponge because they're filthy. And so I use like a dish rag and it's like always dry when I start because I like it to just. And I feel if you like have moisture around the taps, your taps are going to rot. It's going to ruin all the cocking around your taps. Mm -hmm. So I'm a real. So maybe I was just scrupulously avoiding the sink because I was like, (laughs) I can't. There's too many. There's too much food in the trap and I I can't look. So I would just go home. I think this is valid. Adam, what's your big? Yeah. Does it, all of only mine. if it comes back around on me <laughs> no, and makes no, me this feel is, bad. No. You'll feel good because this has no, okay. literally nothing to do with you. It, I was thinking everything was bathroom related for me because oh, the mm. men's room at any workplace is always just like a seventh yes. circle of hell situation. But yeah. so like there's already like the no flushing and just the general like lack mm-hmm. of cleanliness. But I really hate conversations in the bathroom so it's like and and it's all it comes at you from all different directions you're at a urinal some guys like 
breathing down your neck literally and you're like this mm-hmm. is not a good time this is weird mm-hmm. that we even do this <laughs> yeah. next to each do other do we do this you know again using the urinal uh, sure. i don't i don't like to talk to somebody that i'm being next to it's just a weird thing and then the worst is when you're in a stall and these dudes are taking cell phone calls yes. and they're not like oh my god so and so is in the hospital like whatever mm-hmm. like there's an emergency you got to take a phone call i get it but it's literally just like yeah no no i ordered that on amazon yeah, no, no, you should tape that. Like, it's like these banal conversations that I'm like, you had to take this while you were taking a shit next to Urgent. me. Urgent. Urgent. So, yeah, that, that, I don't miss that at all. Um, no, stalls <laughs> are where you go to listen to a podcast during yes, the workday. You should be listening That's to right. this right now and not talking right to your family. Good point. My office at The Daily Show was right across from a single bathroom. And so, and my doorway looked right onto it. And it just all day was just people going like, morning with the newspaper <laughs> under their <laughs> arm like a co- be- and a coffee, <laughs> coffee. And a drink wow. and the paper. And yeah. I was like, this is not, like, there's so many levels <laughs> and this is not okay yeah. on any of them. And so I kept a candle on my desk and I was like, one day this candle, this smoking candle is going to like <laughs> activate the sprinkler system, but I can't do this anymore. People are going in there and eating and drinking yeah, and just sitting there. You're too comfortable. Too comfortable. This is too comfortable. Yeah. Was that not- your office the entire time? Or was that like uh, where they put the newest person as like a hazing ritual? No, this was a deluxe office. <laughs> we were in one building and we all had doors and then the doors were all shut all the time and that wasn't that great. And mm. so then we moved into a big open space and then only a few people had doors and we were granted doors because we had to change clothes all the time and there was no other place to do that. <laughs> so I fortunately had a door, but I like to keep it open to be social. But then it was just like, oh, hey, have a great. Oh, <laughs> oh I see where you go. OK, bye. Have see a in, great dump. <laughs> see you in 45 minutes. Uh, uh, and I'm like eating lunch at my desk. It's yeah. just, anyways, there's things that um, are better done quickly. <laughs> I just... Efficiently. <laughs> but, but washing your dishes yes. is not one of them. You should no. take your time on that. Take your time with your dishes and dry everything off. And uh, and honestly, there's just a lot of microbes. Everything we've talked about is microbe related. So we'll see how this conversation goes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a quick break here, but we have Roxanne Gay coming up. Joining me today is the multi-talented, best-selling writer, Roxane Gay. You may know Roxane best for her books, Bad Feminist, An Untamed State, Hunger, How to Be Heard and Not That Bad, as well as her very hot takes on Twitter. She is very busy these days launching her own imprint, Roxane Gay Books, which will start accepting submissions this summer. So I gotta get going on that long-awaited erotic thriller. I've been workshopping in Manoodle. Welcome to the show. Roxanne Gay, thank you so much for for joining us on this journey. I'm thrilled to talk to you. May I refer to you as my work friend? Absolutely. I have to tell you, <laughs> I look so forward to that column every week. Every time I, I devour it, actually. I enjoy doing that column because, the, I mean, the answer to everyone's question is just quit your job. But right. <laughs> <laughs> very few of us can afford to do that. So it's yes. a question of them saying, all right, what else? How many submissions do you get for every column? Not, not a lot. Um, okay. I have to say, I think most people are afraid of the details identifying them. And I think many people oh. are in circumstances where they can't really afford to be mm. found out if they have a complaint about their job. So I think I right. get about five to 10 a week. Okay. I imagine that a lot of people are afraid to write in because they are also afraid to receive the answer to their true question. That's the thing. <laughs> like, I think that <laughs> the column is such that they don't want to hear, like, the truth. They want their sort of worldview to be re reinforced. And yes. yeah, they want their own little thing. And I get it. I mean, I only ask questions I'm prepared to hear the answers to. And so <laughs> I think it's a good way to live. Like, I don't, I don't want to mm-hmm. know what you think about me. I'm not going to ask unless I'm prepared. <laughs> that is very, <laughs> that's a very smart way to move through this world, especially right now. Okay. 
I'm going to ask you this just because, you know, you have to ask how you handled COVID. What was your experience like? Did it change anything about the way that you do your work at all? That's a good question. Um, well, certainly I had been on the road for about six years when COVID mm-hmm. hit. I just like constantly touring. So right. the most significant change was that I was finally in one place. And okay. that was really weird because I had, you know, I love travel, but I made myself love travel so I wouldn't like lose my mind. Okay. And to like go from like a different city every week or two to, mm-hmm. and sometimes more than one in a different, in a week to like just being at home all the time with my right. partner with whom I had never lived before. It was, it was different. <laughs> It was it was different, but mm-hmm. we had agreed a week before things started shutting down to live together, and we were already engaged. So it was like on the agenda, but COVID moved it up, and it ended up being great. So my COVID was actually not bad, other than like the collective trauma we all dealt with. Sure. Because we have two really great houses, and we go back and forth between here and uh, Los Angeles, where I am, and New York, where she's based, and... We got a puppy and we... It's adventure time. So many adventures. So oh many adventures. Goodness. She started gardening and turned out. turns out she's really good at gardening. What? Yeah. She started Wild. gardening. And this is incredible. cooking from the garden, like totally have our own like self-sustainable thing here. Gone full Los Angeles. This and is fantastic. Is fun. So, I imagine it could, is very, is galvanizing for a healthy relationship. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unf- like so many people were unf- like have children, which right. I mean, I love kids. I I mean, if we had kids, we'd be, you know, we'd have a lot of fun with them. But when you don't have children, like you're not doing homeschooling right. and uh, play grouping with them. I mean, it's a nightmare. And we also have space, you know, it's not that we live in massive homes, but we're not in a 700 square foot studio. Right. And so when you have space to be like her office is upstairs, she has the whole upstairs. My office is downstairs. It's really just super chill because, you know, we're just not in each other's hair all day. And so like, even sometimes like when I see her in the evening, it's like, Oh, hi, I missed you. (laughs) And that's actually great. So that's great. Yeah. Right at the end, I'm going to circle around. I'm going to ask you all about gardening because honestly, my husband started gardening like on a, on a survivalist level. Mm-hmm. Like he definitely was bringing things out of seed form and making full plants. And he was like, we have to learn how to live off the land right at the beginning. <laughs> That's where we got the COVID. instinct from because we saw like the sort of weird like grocery supply chain issues and just also the fraughtness of having to go out. Mm -hmm. And so we just thought, well, what would we do? Like, can we live on the land? And the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. (laughs) We will have tomatoes and cabbage and cucumbers. So. Fantastic. Yes. I want to actually talk about your book imprint. Like, let me just go right into it. What are you hoping to achieve with Roxanne Kay books? Oh, yeah. You know, I actually don't have delusions of grandeur. I just want to publish really great books and hopefully remove some of the gatekeeping that exists in traditional publishing mm-hmm. and some of the artificial metrics that publishing puts on rising writers. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to have a social media platform. I mean, please. Right. That's... It it helps or it can help, but there is not a lot of correlation between social media presence and book sales. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I am interested in really great books by people who understand that publishing is a business and are willing to invest in themselves. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about energy and effort and being comfortable talking about their books instead of like that sort of coyness or self-deprecation that a lot of writers have where they like have spent years writing a book and then they're like, well, I did this thing. Like, no, you wrote a book right? and you should be able to talk about it. And so I'm just hoping to put some great work into the world and I'm on the search. How will you expand the writer submission 
process because you're hoping to get submissions from writers who don't have agents as well as writers who do have agents. Mm -hmm. And practically, how will that work? Well, we'll see. You know, and I've made it clear every time I've talked about it that I don't know how long I'm going to be able to accept submissions from writers without agents. Right. You know, gatekeeping is unfortunate because, you know, gates tend to keep out the most underrepresented and marginalized groups. Mm -hmm. That said, gatekeeping in terms of having an agent represent your work is also quality control. And having seen the kinds of work that can come in, some unagented writers are not ready for an agent. And they're, they're also then not ready for their work to be considered for publication. Most publishers implemented the rule that you have to have an agented submission because mm-hmm. the sheer volume was just too much. And so right. if the volume gets to be too much, I'm going to have to probably rethink it or maybe have like staggered like this week, oh. every six months is unagented submission week. And I'll give people notice so they can prepare their submissions. But I don't know that it can be a year round thing. Right. I guess if there are ways that you could also limit kind of like the the scope of the work. Like, let me see a little slice of it. Give me give me a sample so that I'm not completely overwhelmed. Yes. And just like- yeah. And I am actually starting with um, with agented submissions, send the whole book, because okay. there's something there. Um, with unagented submissions, I'm asking for a brief synopsis and the mm-hmm. first three chapters. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. So this that is I great. can get a sense. That way, you know, I don't want them to spend all that time preparing an entire manuscript if I'm not really going to be into it. Right, right, right. And I do feel like the fact that you're doing this will also inspire, you know, it'll, the ripple effect will be that other people will do this too. And then there's more opportunities. Hopefully, hopefully. You know, it puts an, a seed of an idea in someone else's head and they go, I'm going to do that too, or I'll open up my process in this way. Yes. And we'll just try to gently push. That's just- exactly right. And that's what I really would like to see. Like, uh, not a trickle down, but a trickle outward effect where right. publishers realize that this is possible. Right. Right. Back in 2017, you you famously pulled a book project <laughs> from Simon and Schuster because of the book by Milo Yiannopoulos. Mm. What 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 a what a fellow! Great guy, great guy. Have you witnessed any changes in the publishing industry, or is there still a lot of interest? None, none. Still, no. we're still rewarding trash piles. I mean, with Mike Pence contracts. has a book deal. Um, right, <laughs> Jared Kushner has a book deal. Right. You know, I think the only person in the Trump administration, or Kelly, Kellyanne Conway has one. I think the mm. only person in the Trump administration who's not going to get a book deal is probably Donald Trump. And that's me being highly optimistic. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So no, no big, no big changes to report. No. Business as usual. Yes. <laughs> okay. And all these people with book contracts are getting canceled, right? Quote, yeah. unquote. Yeah. <laughs> Good for them. Yes. Um, what is your favorite part of the writing process? Oh, I've never been asked that. What? <laughs> I've never been asked you've, that. Oh, you've only been asked what is the worst part of the <laughs> I actually don't part. get asked a lot about my writing process. I get asked oh. a lot, like, what do you think about the diversity of publishing? And it's like, that's not my area of expertise. <laughs> but I will tell you, my favorite part is just writing, the generative part of it. Mm-hmm. And just allowing my imagination to be free and to explore ideas. It's just so, it still remains incredibly exciting to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't get to do it nearly enough. And I think that's the case for most writers who achieve a certain level of success, like the more success you achieve, the less time you have to write because there are so many ancillary things that people would like you to do that have so very little to do with writing. And I'm trying to find a way now to protect my writing time because A, I'm behind on so many deadlines, but Mm. also I just miss having large blocks of time where I can write and really just think and come up with interesting ideas and see where it goes and make mistakes and all of that. Like, I love the whole part of the process. I love writing something and just thinking, oh, this is it. I nailed it. And then I also enjoy writing something 
And just realizing, oof, no, girl, that's not it. <laughs> Do over, go back, start over, whatever. I enjoy it. And it feels like problem solving when I write. And I just mm-hmm. enjoy solving problems. How many unfinished things do you have in your, oh, in your on your computer at any one time, would you say? In terms of projects that have already, like, sort of been contracted, mm-hmm. <laughs> probably 10. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's not good. But I tend to be a completist. So I don't have a lot of unfinished work. So everything mm-hmm. that I have that's unfinished will get finished. So... I would say I have probably have 10 projects in progress right now. And okay. I'm just going to, I did make some progress during sort of the pandemic. Okay. Thank God. I do. I do love to talk about process. So I hope that's, I hope that's okay with you. I'm a I'm, fan. I'm always so curious about it. Like, do you go back and, and kind of cannibalize your own material? Like, do you finish something and go, this is not for anything. I'm going to come back to this in five years. And then you come back five years later and you go, this was this was good. I'm going to take these ideas. I'm going to shift them over here. I've evolved my thinking on this. Let me just rework this material. Do you do that? Not a lot. I tend to just dive into new things each time. Okay. I am thinking ahead to a 10-year anniversary edition of Bad Feminist, which would come out in 2024. Mm -hmm. And so... For that, I am actually going to go back and revise the essays with an eye toward what is my thinking now? How have I evolved? Because I actually wrote many of those essays in 2009 and 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. So it's been quite some time since I wrote them and the world has changed. And at the same time, the world hasn't changed. We're still dealing with issues around reproductive freedom, voting access, racism, sexual violence. So I just sort of want to take a temperature in in each of like the major subject categories that I explored Mm. in those essays. And then I'll probably add two or three more. Mm, That's good. That'll be great. I think so. Your voice on Twitter is so fun and refreshing and engaging. Do you, do you feel, uh, I'm not going to make all these questions about Donald Trump, but do you feel his absence? Do you, do you feel that looming presence gone yes in social no. media? I actually mm-hmm. had him blocked for the whole of his administration. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see a lot of him. I only saw what people put into my timeline, mm-hmm. which was annoying because it was like, why are you giving him more oxygen And more airtime and more attention. We should not ignore atrocities and we should not ignore injustice. But I do think that we can ignore most of what Donald Trump says because it's dangerous. It's like keep an eye on him, but we don't need to talk about it on Twitter. That's not actually going to solve anything. Right. Because I had him blocked, I didn't see a lot of his nonsense unless I read about it in an article or someone retweeted it and whatever. So I don't miss him at all. And I don't really feel him. And I'm glad he's gone. I think that Twitter is slightly less toxic than it was. Mm -hmm. And I think that's incredibly important and healthy. You can tell that there are people who miss him very much. And I'm not just talking about conservatives. I mean, I think there are a lot of progressives or not progressive, maybe liberals, Mm -hmm. who clearly miss the chaos and Mm -hmm. got something out of and, and, and frankly, I think, enjoy his persona and right. all of that. And they tell on themselves when they seem to lament his absence. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. I think that's a great point. Um, how do you tune out people who troll you on social media? Do you are you like a blocker or do you just do you just have the power and presence of mind to are you able to like bifurcate your brain or you just don't care at all? Oh, I care a lot. I care too much. Yeah. So I'm really horrible at it. Mm -hmm. It gets under my skin. I take it really personally. And I get deep in my feelings about it quite a lot. But in recent years, and especially in the past year and a half, I've just stepped back from Twitter a bit because I'm a nice person in my day-to-day life. And I did not like the way I was starting to be like overly prickly, even to people who had good intentions. And so when I started to feel 
not only bad about the way people were treating me, but the bad about the way I was talking to other people, I knew it was time to take a step back and be less engaged. And also my wife is online, but she's not like online with a capital O. And earlier in our relationship, I would sometimes like mention some conflagration on Twitter and she would look at me like I was speaking a different language. Just like, <laughs> girl, what are you talking about? Like, and, and also my parents. And so like, if I can't explain something to them without looking like I am completely unhinged, mm-hmm. I recognize, okay, this is not something I need to be spending my time on. And she has encouraged me to be less engaged like that she thinks I'm at the stage of my career where it's time to step back and I think she's actually right Mm. and so it's been actually great I miss Twitter for what it was when I first started using it right and I don't think I'll ever be able to get back to that except on my secret Twitter account where I have 30 followers (laughs) oh you you have a secret one I do I mean it's not secret it's just my name Roxanne Gay (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that's the one where like my actual real life I don't and I'm rarely use it, but I only follow and I'm followed there by real life friends. Ah, uh, got and it, got it, got it. I don't do anything like weird with it at all. It's not like a fun <laughs> secret account. It's a an account where I can just like things on Twitter without journalists looking through my likes or wor- sure. without haters looking through my likes to think like they've learned something. And I'm like, my likes are a bookmark system. Right. Calm I, down. A lot of these likes are just pictures of opossums. Yes. They're really cute. <laughs> it's Dave Chappelle singing Creep. That's, I just <laughs> want to watch that little video. That's all. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, okay, you recently celebrated the one-year anniversary of your marriage. I did. Okay? Your, yeah, so congratulations. Thank you. This is very, very good. But, okay, as you know, a lot of states have kept their same-sex marriage bans on the books, even mm-hmm. though they're unenforceable, in the hopes that it'll get overturned. How this is greatly troubling. How are you handling all of this? You know, I try not to think about it too much, mm-hmm. but what a luxury to not think about it because we live in a state where marriage equality isn't going anywhere. Right. And so I always try to also remind myself that while I know our marriage is going to be fine, what about people, and I'm from Nebraska, so like what about people in Omaha, Lincoln, Kearney, uh, what about people in Illinois, Indiana, Tennessee? And so I am deeply concerned, and I think it's really important for us as a community, and I mean everyone, regardless of your sexuality, to remain vigilant mm-hmm. because Republicans are looking for any opportunity to start to pull back some of the social progress that we've made in the past 10 years, Mm -hmm. Uh, partly just out of spite because they're just spiteful Mm -hmm. and partly because there's no there there. They don't actually believe anything. They don't have any sort of sophisticated ideology. So in the absence of intellectualism, they are just filling the void with hatred because that's the easiest way to reach the largest number of people. And I recognize that. And I I think Donald Trump clearly demonstrated to us the power of vacuous hatred. And Mm -hmm. so I'm just trying to be mindful and paying attention and supporting politicians who recognize what's at stake and who understand that we have not yet reached the promised land um, in terms of civil rights for lots of marginalized groups. Right. And in that, in that, vacuum in that vacuum of oh my god who was that that's my puppy so he weighs eight pounds okay what yeah he's a malty poo he's a a little malty poo he's a toy malty poo he's adorable i i'm not an animal person and my but my wife is and i got him as a present for her it's my first pet wow he's adorable so cute and he hates men which means my work here is done. <laughs> he just hates them. He did and it. And we're having a plumbing crisis right now. And the plumber and the contractor are out there doing, I just don't even want to know because every time like they walk in with a new piece of equipment, I see another zero. Oh, yeah. He's just barking at oh, them no. and guarding us. What a kind, what a sweet, 
You're, I mean, it's oh, adorable. And like, adorable. our trainer is like, when he like loses his shit like that, it's just anxiety. And so you just have to like love him into calmness. And so normally when I'm not like working, I just hold him and I just tell oh. him sweet loving things and we sing him little songs. And uh, so, yeah, that's Max. Max, who mm-hmm. fits in a giant, like he would fit in a, in a, like a comedy coffee mug. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Just in bread he, We fly back and forth with him in his little bag and it's a, a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Is it okay for me to ask you about your plumbing problem? Because I'm obsessed oh. with stuff like that. I had a plumbing problem in my apartment that was so foul and I fixed it myself and it oh, was wow. in full insanity. So will, will your home be okay? It absolutely will. You know, okay. it's one of those problems where for the first time in my life, well, it's also this is my first home. Okay, I, it took me a long time to be able to afford to buy a home because I mm-hmm. actually don't have a trust fund, and I never did. Mm-hmm. And Los Angeles is extraordinary. Yes. The real estate market here is just completely out of whack. So mm-hmm. when I bought the house, the inspector said, "Oh, you're good to go," because it was um, a flip. A pretty reputable developer came in, bought the property, expanded it, mm-hmm. put in an ADU, and mm-hmm. took it everything down to the studs in such a way that we could keep our fireplace. And a week after I moved in, the toilets exploded. What? Oh my God. And I was like, just shit everywhere. And I was like, and I had just gotten dumped that same day. (gasps) So it was so bad. And so I have a lot of PTSD around the plumbing in this house. So I called a plumber and by I, I mean my assistant and the plumber came over and I was here and I was just like, well, I don't know what's happening here. And he was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go under the house. And I said, you can go under the house? <laughs> just, <laughs> what do you mean? Dig I, a I hole? I had spent the previous 44 years or 43 years living in apartments where you call the super or yeah. the maintenance man and he takes care of it and you give him a really good tip. And mm-hmm. so... The plumber came back up and he was like, well, it's going to be $7,000. And I was like, wow, you just had that math fucking ready. And I had just spent the most money I had ever spent in my life. And so I was kind of like, is there a workaround? Can we put some saran wrap around it? Like, what can we do here? Nothing. And so the problem was fixed. And ever since then, what we found out is that they completely did a beautiful renovation for everything you can see. They did absolutely nothing for everything you can't. And so it was 1949 plumbing. (laughs) Oh, this is terrible. Yeah, it's so bad. In a 2018 house, rather. So, you know, one bit crisis by crisis, we're replacing the plumbing in the house. And so it's okay. What's happening now is when I was running the washer, we had been gone for two months and we got back and we had had work done while we were gone on the plumbing. Mm -hmm. And so when we got back, I ran the washer and it backs up into the bathroom sink. And I just thought this probably isn't good, but then it would recede. So I just let it go for a couple of days. And then I did another load of laundry and this time like more stuff backed up. And I just was like, okay, don't be cheap. Stop playing with fire. Called the plumber. Oh, plumber came God. yesterday, ripped a hole in the wall, mm-hmm. made a mess, fucking left. Mm. <laughs> uh, and then you're like, well, now who's fucking right. fixing the wall? And so now the contractor who contracted the plumber, and they're both wonderful men and great guys. Great. And I would recommend them to anyone. Um, Your dog does not like them Oh, but he like does not like them at, them at, at all. all. No. So mm-hmm. they came back to finish the work, and now they're closing up the hole, which is okay. it's always nice to see a humongous hole in your laundry room closed. Or laundry closet, wow. I should say. So it's going to be okay, but yeah, it's just turns out it was tree That's branches underground. Oh, oh. Um, lots and lots of roots. Roots mm. are a problem for plumbing. So roots are a big problem. Are. Roots are a big problem. It's very intimidating to buy. Oh look! Oh no! Somebody's doing something back yeah, there. I mean, the, I mean, Max is the thing like, is, he's so the- loud, and both my wife and I have podcasts, and like, it's not yeah. like we can like put him somewhere. He's like a dog, and so we're always just like. All right, pause. And you know what? He's expressing himself. He really is. He's a part and of your He's 11 family. months old, so I mean, he just needs to, he doesn't like know any different. And in general, he is a really, really good dog. And he was just barking, I think, because the Amazon guy dropped something off. Ugh, Amazon's evil. But. You know what? Let us know when there's someone there fixing holes and shit like that. <laughs> there is something so 
There's home ownership. You know, if you get a chance to own a home, it's an incredible opportunity and it is the most intimidating thing that I think I've ever done also in my life. And you just go, oh, I'm so, I'm, so I'm responsible yeah. for this. It's really oh, so, scary. It never occurred. I mean, it occurred to me, but I didn't realize the extent of the responsibility and just mm-hmm. how much stress it would be. And it, you're, it's such a privilege and I don't take it for granted. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, whenever people are like, should I buy a house? I'm just like, no, I don't think that's for, no, it's not for you. <laughs> it might not be for it's, it's not for it's not for the faint of heart. No. You have to like and you have to give over to like plumbers. You have to go, look, I fucking don't know how to do I'm just I don't know how to do this. One time, if we ever meet in person, I'll tell you how I reversed the polarity of all the toilets in my apartment building by plunging a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually super ready to hear that story. Oh, um, my God. Damn, that just sounds awesome. Oh, I, I just <laughs> drew. I pulled. <laughs> I pulled everyone in the building's feces into my bathroom. Oh, <laughs> one, come on. One time. No. Yep. And then there's me like bailing out and I'm like, children, get mommy a bucket. <laughs> Just like bailing it out with a coffee cup. Anyways. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. God. I can I just see oh. like a little coffee cup with other people's shit. Mm. Just up elbows deep. Anyways, <laughs> that was great story. I'm glad. I hope all my podcast listeners were up for that. <laughs> this is life. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So we were talking about. Prior to getting on plumbing, which I think is actually fascinating, and I love, you know, it is fascinating because I can do lots of things when I'm reasonably competent. I can hammer a nail Mm -hmm. and so on, but there are so many expertises that we do not respect enough. And I'm sorry, but the man who comes and fixes your toilet and goes under the house with all the creepy shit, the house to fix your toilet. I mean, just Uh double it. It's, uh, he does not get paid enough. No. He does n- not get I respect the trades because, A, it's not something I can do. And just mm-hmm. I recognize, like, what the work is. And also I recognize that some people must be really hard to work for or with. So, Oh, yeah. 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 I think those people go through. Do you remember there was, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago, there was a, a woman who was a cable television installer. Oh, yeah. My friend, she Lauren wrote Huff. That that's your friend? Yes. I will never forget that essay. It was so f- fascinating to me. I'm like, yes, you have to work in the most dire conditions and go into the homes of people who treat you like absolute fucking shit. Yes. It was really eye-opening to me. And mm-hmm. it maybe shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. But I think for so many reasons, I always err on the side of kindness. And also just like this person's in your home. So like, let's not poke mm-hmm. the bear. It never occurred to me that people would be that horrifically rude and inconsiderate and just terrible to someone who's fixing, like for me, the internet and the cable. Like I'm those, I, I have strong yeah. feelings about these things. S- strong feelings, <laughs> and so, you, they, you you need them. I do. I do. I. They are helping you. They do. I often really do think that people should be forced for two years to work in the service industry. Yes. Because it is an incredible, I waited for a long time. Everybody knows that. It's like, uh, and it is, it is so, uh, it forms you as a person. It really does. I did bartending and call center work. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. call center work also in in a different way. I think it's nowhere Mm -hmm. near as educational or challenging as service work but mm-hmm. people will just say, because they're not looking at you they'll say any old thing to you that is true they will just say any old thing and people get really mm-hmm. f- not happy and this was pre-cell phone era people get mm-hmm. really upset when you call their house phone and like they don't want to talk they're always just like mm-hmm. why are you playing on my phone and so it's like i don't mm-hmm. know please <laughs> please i'm just trying I'm just to do trying my to make job a living. <laughs> i just want to pay my rent <laughs> so just talking about that like intellectual vacuum again just going circling back yes. to republicans for a sec and so we have critical race theory now which is the new non idea boogeyman of theirs do you think that we're 
losing the fight to define it? Are they just doing a better job of defining it to their people? And we're just kind of, (laughs) I feel like we're just losing so much ground because they're so good at co-opting language and shifting the entire conversation. Why the fuck are we talking about this? They're not even really teaching it in middle schools and high schools. And we're trying to remove it from curriculums that it's not even in at this moment. That's a great question. And the answer is yes, they're winning the battle and we're losing it. And the thing is, we're not even in the battle. And it's really frustrating to me. Republicans do a few things incredibly well. And one of them is branding and message. Mm -hmm. Not only Mm -hmm. do they develop the message, they stay on message. And all of them do. From the little senator, from a small town in Pennsylvania, all the way up to Mitch McConnell. They stay on Mm -hmm. message. And it's like they all get the same memo. And quite honestly, sometimes they literally all get the same memo. And there are people like Frank Luntz who develop language like he's the guy responsible for the shift from global warming to climate change Mm -hmm. for years and years and years it was global warming and now climate change is genuinely part of our vernacular and uh you know they come up with uh death tax and so they are really good at taking policy that they don't like and coming up with names that would make anyone who's not gonna do any research which is most people and mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a mean way. It's just the reality is like most of the time, you're not going to like look things up. We're just going to be like, oh, it's a death tax. Well, I don't want that. I don't want to be taxed for dying. terrible. And so we don't do that. We don't have any sort of like counteroffensive. And until we do, we are going to lose the messaging war. And we lost critical race theory the day they introduced it. And we didn't push back and say, this is a school of thought that is discussed and studied at university levels, but it is not happening Mm -hmm. anywhere else. Critical race theory is not what they're saying it is in any way, shape Mm -hmm. or form. What they've done actually is rebrand critical race theory as racism. And my God, wow, what a feat. And they did it in less than three months. Less than three months. It's less than three months. It's horrible. Horrible and remarkable. It is. It is truly remarkable. And it's just incredibly frustrating to see the Democrats and liberals more broadly just sort of standing on the sidelines looking befuddled as if Mm -hmm. and, and then really just throwing their hands up and saying, well, there's nothing we can do here. Right. Oh, well, we'll think about We'll think of something else another time. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what? And I'm like, no, we won't because the next time this happens, they're going to win again. And this is going to happen next week. Yes. There's like 10 more things coming down the, the pipeline for us to be horrified by. Absolutely. How has the Biden administration surprised you in ways that are like in, in positive mm-hmm. ways or negative ways? Have they surprised you? They have. I was not super keen on the Biden administration Mm -hmm. simply because I felt like it was time for a truly progressive president and we had a really good field of candidates. You know, Julian Castro, Elizabeth Warren, who I was very excited about, there were some great candidates. And so when they went with the old white guy, I just thought, here we go. But, you know, once he was a nominee, I was totally down. And I also thought that Mm -hmm. his choice of Kamala Harris as vice president, even though she's also not my first choice, was also good. And Mm -hmm. I've been really impressed with so far with had just he's put more progressive legislation forward than I would have expected him to. Mm -hmm. And I think that his economic recovery plans are interesting and have a lot of really good ideas in them. And so I, you know, the thing is, that's a low bar, but still, I think it's important to acknowledge it. And I think that his administration ah, is, ah, oh, Max, it's, I like it. It's so I'm sorry. Funny. You guys are going to have little, I think it's you great. know what, you're just going to have a little dog barking in the background. It's all good. It's fine. I wish my, I wish my cat would come in here and listen to this and have something to say in response. <laughs> that would be great. And they could but just have a little conversation. Just a full animal conversation. Just going crazy. I told my wife to take him and she did. And I think he escaped. Um, oh. Cause she's, she's upstairs. <laughs> also, she's teaching right now. Um, oh, she is. Yes, she is. But it's fine. 
you know, I, I think that the Biden administration has made some good moves. I think that, of course, they've also made some mistakes, but I would think that. Um, but yeah, I'm encouraged and I'm really interested in just seeing, like, how do we prepare now for 2024 and right. 2020, you know, like 2022, the midterms, um, because so many people are throwing their hands up and are like, it's already lost. And I just think <laughs> no. it's only already lost if you don't do anything. I think that we have some opportunities here to to yes. maintain power and maybe even get a few more seats in the Senate. And so let's act like it. Yeah, it's I mean, it's definitely a lot closer than I want it to be yes, because absolutely. it would be so nice to have like a little time off from worrying and thinking about this stuff. But oh, well, that's not the world we live in. But there is there's time to get shit done. People are out there really doing the work like still right now, even if nobody wants to talk about them. Yes. <laughs> and all of the hard work they're doing. People are doing a lot of hard work. And unfortunately, again, Republicans know how to be on message. They mm-hmm. they were basically shellacked in some unexpected places. And even though it wasn't a shellacking in Georgia, they thought they should have won in Georgia. Right. And they didn't. And that was really encouraging. And they're doing everything in their power to ensure that the people who voted in 2020 can't vote in 2022 and 24. Um, with mm. these really draconian voter suppression laws. And so there's so much work to be done. And I don't think we can afford to just either be complacent or give up prematurely. I think there's a lot of fight to be had. And I think there are a lot of organizers on the ground in a lot of these purple and battleground states who need to be supported in the same mm-hmm. way with the same amount of energy now. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if you have money, get out those checkbooks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So on a scale of no fucks to like all the fucks, what's the right amount of fucks to give? Like medium, give some fucks. You don't have to give them all the time. No, you know, I think that people should give a lot of fucks. I do. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that you should allow yourself to not care sometimes just to decompress or to recharge or whatnot. But I think that it has at times been fashionable for people to not care about anything and to be nihilistic. And I myself have been nihilistic at at various points in my life. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to care and give a few fucks. I do. And I think that the more we all give a few fucks or a lot of fucks, mm-hmm. I think the better, like collective effort just goes a long way. Give a good amount of fucks and then one extra fuck. Yes. For good measure. Yes. And then take a quick break. Yes. But then come back like, to it. Yes. And <laughs> while you're taking that break, I think you're going to find more fucks to give. You will find more. <laughs> you will always find more. All right. So I told you I was going to come back to gardening because yes. I just have to. So I know you've been cooking. Mm-hmm. Cooking was a big part of quarantine for it you. It was. Right? I love cooking. I um did not always. I, I learned how to cook about... 10 years ago when I was a vegetarian and I was Mm -hmm. living in a small town in rural Illinois. And I just recognized that if I wanted to eat anything more than iceberg lettuce and French fries, I was really (laughs) going to have to figure something out. So I started watching Ina Garten on Food Network and I started Mm -hmm. to learn how to cook. And because of my travel schedule and just life schedule, I didn't have a lot of time to cook. So I would cook when I could, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. consistent. But during the pandemic, I was able to cook. And it's been a lot of fun to take my time and make elaborate recipes and bake. And yeah, it's relaxing. What are you? Okay, well, what are you into making these days? What are you into right now? Right now, I am really into cobblers, fruit cobblers. (gasps) Because it's just great fruit season. and We had such a debate at the office about the value of cobbler. Oh, it's so valuable if you make it well. I mean, I love cobbler. There's some beautiful cobblers in the world. Chez Panisse (laughs) has a really great cobbler recipe. And so I riff on that recipe by also adding a little crumble to the top of the cobbler. A brown sugar crumble. And mm hmm and it's yes. delicious. And fresh blueberries, fresh cherries, fresh peaches. Like, take your okay. pick. There's a lot going okay. on. But I, I understand why cobbler may not be for everyone. Some people don't like hot fruit. 
Some people don't like hot fruit, but I don't understand those people. I don't either. And I enjoy I, hot cherries. <laughs> I love I love hot cherries. Hot sour cherries mm. are my favorite. I read a recipe like uh, recently, and we can. Uh, this is going to be the last thing we we have to end on cooking because I love to cook too. And I read a recipe for blueberry cobbler with like crumbly top with cornflakes crunched into it. Really. Yes. That sounds like a delicious kind of like amount of texture, like a little extra. And I was like, this is a genius. Like, how have we blueberries and corn go together? This is summertime. They do. How did it never occur to me to put a crumbled cornflakes in the topping? Like, Anyway, that is my gift to you. That is a wonderful (laughs) gift. I'm actually going to try it because I, I can cook pretty much anything if I have mm-hmm. a recipe. And I'm getting mm. a little bit better at freestyling, but I'm never going to be the person who's going to come up with like some amazing innovation like cornflakes on your cobbler. So I really appreciate hearing that. Yeah, I felt like that was a game changer. And uh, honestly, I have enjoyed every second of this interview. Likewise. I know that you had such a long day. And so I'm really appreciative that you gave me your time. You got all hole in your wall that's being fixed. <laughs> I do. Your dog is rebelling against the men in your house right no now. No one's ever going to sneak up on us. We may what not do boy. anything in defense, but he we're we're not going to be surprised by it. You're <laughs> You're not going to go out without a fight nope. from that little teacup puppy. He's going to try, but the funniest thing is like when he goes into a attack someone, yeah. All he does is like paw them and then wait for scratches and kisses. It's just like, wow, you are just a little oh. whore. Okay. Oh. Okay. Just goes up on them with his little I feet. respect it. And he's he just, just like, like and then I'm always like, guys, you know, at first they look apprehensive and I totally get mm-hmm. it because, and they're like, oh, bless the male person's heart. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, I always talk to her through the window because we have a sitting area by our front door where like we mm-hmm. read and so on. And I'm always like, he's not going to do anything. And he never, ever does, which I'm glad for. <laughs> I wouldn't want a bitey dog. He's just a barker. No. Just a barker. Just a sweet little barker. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great evening. And I hope this is the last I do the plumbing too. I think it issues. might be because I honestly don't know that there's anything left from the original plumbing at this point. So How could there be more issues? I hope that not. Those tree roots are gone now. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. Thank you. Okay. I got to squeeze in another quick break here. Oh my God, that was delightful. Podcast gals, you know what? I didn't go into that conversation with Roxanne Gay thinking that we were going to have that conversation, but I am very glad that we did because I feel like that's the conversation that both of us were in the mood to have. Just a little lighter. It's not only that we now know the inner workings of her mind, we also know the inner workings of her plumbing. And you know what? <laughs> okay. I wanted to know. You're not going to get that on any other podcast. You're not. And I love to talk about that stuff. We should actually have like a chapter of the podcast that's just like house stuff. Stuff I've learned from <laughs> owning stuff. a house. That's a segment. House things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because I like you, you call learn... it a chapter. You don't know how podcasts work. It's a book. It's <laughs> chapter a chapter one. It's chapter You're recording an audio book, right? <laughs> <laughs> have I told you that I've just recently discovered audiobooks? I have. And so that's oh, why man. I speak in these terms. Are you for real? Can I yeah, give yeah. you a quick anecdote? This is sort yes. of off the beaten path, but you'll maybe like encounter it. this. I've also been listening to audiobooks lately, and okay. there's this weird phenomenon I've picked up on where it's white audiobook readers affecting oh. like stereotypical black people's <gasps> voices. <laughs> no, and I feel like what? the whole world needs to know about this. So I was listening to that book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. I like meant to mm-hmm. get around to it. It's like just one of those books I never read, and I'm listening to it, and it's fine. And then she starts basically doing these voices for all the black people in the book, and it's so offensive, and it's like. It's really bad. And then I was like, oh, I'll speed this up. Maybe it won't be as bad. And it's even more <laughs> ridiculous. When oh, it's been. And no. then I'm like, it made me hate the book. And then towards the end, it was like, all right, I'm getting through it. I'm getting through it. And then there's like an East Asian doctor that shows up and she does oh. that voice too. No. And it's so crazy. It's like who, there's so many people who had to sign off on this. This is like a best-selling book. And it's just this white lady being like, honey child, let me tell you. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, stop. This is not right. This is a hate crime, like literally. We can do better. This is sorry to go down that tangent, but like 
I've been meaning to bring this up with some other human other than my wife. Someone needs she, to know she this. She hears me like f- screaming. I'm like, I can't believe this voice. It's so wrong. That is and then so... I had her hear it and she was like, yeah, that is crazy. And it's multiple books. I've had this experience with multiple books. There needs to be more attention paid to the the the, the hiring selection, <laughs> to the audition process yeah, for Yeah, just get a books. black actor. That's all. Just get a black actor. It's not that, there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. Everybody wants to work. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going to try to bring this conversation to a more highbrow place. I think this is a very highbrow place. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You're right. You're right. Um, but we know you're really well read and we 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 know you don't get time to get to everything. But okay. we, so but these are these are some books that are on the bestseller list of The New York Times at the time of this recording. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to give you a chance to give sort of a sight unseen review of some of these books just based on a one line synopsis. So it's basically okay. you're essentially judging these books by their cover. All right, I've not read any of these. Great. So give us your best shot. What if I've read all of them? You have it. <laughs> that would be really These are the impressive. ones that I did read. <laughs> this okay. is Sam's book club. Yep. This book is called Green Lights. Mm-hmm. It's by Matthew McConaughey. <gasps> <gasps> Say okay. no Academy more. award-winning actor shares snippets from the diaries he kept over the last 35 years. Should I read this? Uh, I, I don't. all right okay you know what this is a quick read i think you should read this Mm -hmm. i think you should read this with uh like in a on a lounge chair or hammock say hammock reading for sure yeah hammock i think you should just dog ear the sexy parts there'll be a lot it's mostly sexy parts come back to those and working out or whatever it's like there's a lot of yeah. And then I took you know, my shirt off. There's a lot of that. <laughs> just he's was shirtless while he was writing it. He was shirtless while he was living it. <laughs> I think he's a very nice person. And I bet you he has some really fucked up stories. I would read this. This right. is a this is a pina colada book. <laughs> I guess that's not really like a drink that I would choose for him. But that's a j- drink for that you. I would choose for me. Yeah, yeah. And you must be in a shady place. <laughs> Definitely, definitely read. You know what? I read the Jessica Simpson book and I loved it. So, mm. Sam, that's not on our list right now. Well, good because it's really, <laughs> it should be because it's actually really good. Okay. Really, really good. So, okay. not a nice guy wrote the next book. Um, it's, okay. it's Killing the Mob by Bill O'Reilly and Martin Dugard. So, it's the latest in his killing series. It's the 10th in his killing series. This one's about organized crime in the United States during the 20th century. Do not read this book. That's my review. <laughs> don't give this guy any more money. I don't I care if it's good or it's bad. Series. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. got like killing Reagan and killing Lincoln. Oh, it's God. like this weird thing with killing and assassinate. I don't know why that's his bit. I guess he's just an angry dude, but he's just don't don't give him don't even give him the dollar that he'll make off this book sale. Or actually he'll make more off of it if it's in hard copy. It's a hardcover. He'll make like Twelve dollars or something. So, so wait for the audiobook <laughs> to be read wait by a black for... man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read it. If they pay you me. read it. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. All right. This book is called Suli. It's by mm-hmm. John Grisham. Mm-hmm. Samuel Suleiman receives a basketball scholarship to North Carolina Central and is determined to bring his family over from a civil war ravaged South Sudan. I. I don't like our chances with the audiobook. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I don't know any of in my whole life I never read a John Grisham book. Sure. That's like half the books. I know. It's, they're always That's half of all American books are written by him. Yeah. I don't I, I don't know why I just haven't even like you'd think out of just interest for interest's sake, I'd be yeah. like what is this like a Robert Ludlum? Like when I was growing up, I when I was growing up, I read a lot of Robert Ludlum books. Born, I was like, I'm a Russian guy. spy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I read spy books, and because I was like, we didn't, no one bought me children's books. Actually, <laughs> like no one, people were like, teenagers and children and teenagers don't get separate books. We have the Thornbirds, or we have Robert Ludlum. Take your pick, or we have a biography of Lady Bird Johnson. Which one Perfect. do you want to read? So I read the spy books, the John Le Carre's. So what is John Grisham? Is it like action stuff? Well, you've seen it's some like, of the movies, right? Like The Firm and The Pelican Brief. Oh, he yeah, tends to do yeah, like yeah, legal yeah, yeah. dramas. Yeah. I don't know if this yeah. person's a lawyer, but uh, okay. yeah. 
All right, well, we'll try this I, next I guess one. My, I guess my review is, haven't we already read this? But this seems <laughs> yes, that's different. Yeah. I think this seems different. Sure. I don't want to hear the audiobook. That, I, <laughs> that much I know. All right, so this next one is called Freed, and it's by E.L. James. It's the final chapter of the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. This one delves into the wedding between Christian Grey and Anastasia Steele. So it's the, the, the conclusion of the Fifty Shades of Grey saga. Okay, my review of this book is, how the fuck did you get through all the other books? <laughs> Are you serious? You need to spice it up. Yeah. You, need to, you need to get outside. You got to live. I think the books are spicing it up. That's the problem. This is... Uh, Have you read any uh, of those? I mean, the first one, I did you read that one? No. That's not... Mm, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. I don't even know how to... <laughs> Oh, it's just not my jam. That's just not, that's, I don't, I don't even know. I don't, it's, it's not, it's not where I get my kicks. Okay. Mm, sure. Let's not, well, maybe this will is be. the wildest version of the podcast we've ever done. <laughs> plumbing. Where does she get her yayas out? It's not here in the pages yeah, of yeah. these books, but I guess go for it. But mm-hmm. like, Wow. Just, I think just read the first one again. Yeah. It's probably, you know, it's diminishing returns. Now they're getting married. So they're sure. probably not doing it half as much as they did in the first one. <laughs> <laughs> the spankings are just then. routine now. Yeah. <laughs> You're just so tired. They need to just, stretch. You yeah. need me to get in the gear again. <laughs> I just put the kids to bed. Now I got to get in the gear. What am I doing? It's like when you pretend that you love camping. You know what I mean? When you're first dating, you're like, yeah, let's go camping. You're like, I love it. And then by the time you get married, you're like, I don't. I It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This one is called Malibu Rising by mm. Taylor Jenkins Reid. What? Four famous siblings throw an epic party to celebrate the end of summer, but oh. over the course of 24 hours, their lives will change forever. They cannibalize <laughs> the youngest <laughs> of their group. You took that really into a dark direction. <laughs> what What could go wrong at this party? Someone dies. Or an affair, maybe, is revealed. Uh, You're in for cannibalism, like, real quick. That's your if first If it isn't impulse. cannibalism... <laughs> I'm not interested. Here's my, here's my <laughs> sentence. If it ain't cannibalism, I'm not reading it. <laughs> <laughs> if no one's chewing on a thigh, I'm out. I don't want it. All right. Uh, so this last one, uh, again, a famous author. This is uh, The President's Daughter by Bill Clinton and James Patterson. So it's like a joint fiction thing. Oh, Matthew Keating. This is, I think, the number one book on the bestseller list right now. Matthew uh-huh. Keating, a past president and former Navy SEAL, which I guess is how Bill Clinton wants to see himself, goes on his own to find his abducted teenage daughter. Uh, just read Robert Ludlum. <laughs> You're not going to go wrong. You know, yeah. just go classic. Go like Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Like go John Le Carre, okay? If you're like want some action, mm-hmm. do that. Okay? <laughs> Just take my word for it. Okay? <laughs> it's going to stand the test of time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay? Are we clear? <laughs> we got this? <laughs> oh, God. Bill Clinton writing fiction. Uh, you know, I people love it. They eat it up. It's not... I, Listen, I read the last <laughs> the last book I read was just just an absolute nightmare. So I don't <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't pretend that I know what I'm doing either. Okay, like well, we'll I see definitely if this book sticks. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> the sales are gonna soar. As we drove on our little vacation, I made the children listen to the most serious audiobook. They were practically crying. They were like, Can you please turn this off? I'm like, No, it's about strong men. It's about the rise of authoritarianism. <laughs> oh my god. We're gonna listen to a book about Hitler and Mussolini. Is it Hannah Arendt? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's oh, that's not. what it sounded like. <laughs> I mean, it does. No, it's it's so many. It's so yeah. many autocratic leaders, uh, and it just goes from one to the next. You're like, children, <laughs> Duterte. Let me tell you about it. You're like, can we just go on vacation? <laughs> <laughs> 
I hope you like my podcast. If you did, let me know in the comments. If you didn't, oh, I don't know. Please consider hate listening in the future. Seriously, though, please rate, review, and subscribe to Full Release in Apple Podcasts. And tell your friends. Feel free. Spread the word about this podcast. And if you know someone who doesn't know what podcasts are or audiobooks or whatever, where to find those things, don't shame them. Offer to help them. And in the meantime, please keep sending us your comments and questions to fullrelease at sambi.com. I don't think you should send comments about this episode of the podcast, but, <laughs> you know, other ones, perhaps. They might even be featured in one of our special bonus episodes exclusively available on Stitcher Premium. Don't forget to tune into Full Frontal with Samantha B. Wednesdays at 10.30 p.m. on TBS, and we'll see you next Tuesday for another full release. This podcast is brought to you by Earwolf and TBS and was produced by Adam Howard and Svea Baron-Reinstein with research provided by Noreen Malik and IT and technical production provided by Hitech. It was edited by Julia Fott and hosted by me. Samantha B. Let me come to your house and look at your plumbing. (laughs) Pass it to me, friend. Pass it over here, friend. Look at us. We're in the same outfit. That's weird. What a a coincidence. Our sporting costumes. I'm so embarrassed. All of us are wearing the same ugly outfit. We all wore the same shorts and socks. (laughs) 